All right. Hear the words of Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. Thanks, Mark, for reading that for us. If you're new to Greater Alton or if this is your first time with us, my name is Alan and I'm glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. If you're not new to Greater Alton and you've been here for a little while, you know what I'm going to say next. What am I going to say next? We're in a series called, You Want Me to Do What? Yeah, I say that every week. And sometimes I hope it doesn't get too wearing on you because of the repetition, but sometimes it's just nice to remember why we're looking at what we're looking at. You see, sometimes, I mean, I, I, sometimes we get into, um, we get into the Bible, we get into church, and we assume we know what God wants, and sometimes we really don't. Sometimes we can read it for ourselves, and it still doesn't quite make sense. And so what we're trying to do in this sermon series is look at Jesus' teaching, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, and try to figure out what is it that Jesus really wants us to do. Now, if you were listening to what Mark read, or if you see it in your notes at the top, what would you presume that Jesus is going to be talking about today? Money, right. So if you're a guest here or you brought a guest here today, you're probably going, oh, no, here it comes. Here's the sermon where they're trying to get into our pockets. Here's the one where they're going to hit us up for a money drive. Well, no, that's not what we're going to be doing today. We're covering this because... We're just going in order. We're just going through the Sermon on the Mount. It just happens to be, this is something that Jesus teaches on. So we're trying to just cover and figure out what do you want me to do. In fact, if you haven't caught on to it by now, we've gone out of our way to try to tell everybody, even our own members, we don't want you to give to us this month. Now, I'm not telling you we never want you to give to us again. Because we are a ministry. This church does operate as a ministry, and there are bills that still need to be paid. But this congregation has been generous enough over the last year that we had enough funds that we could say, let's experiment. Let's see if you can invest what God's given you in a different direction and learn some things about investing. In fact, that's what I think Jesus is getting at in this lesson. He talks about laying up treasures, laying up treasures in either heaven or earth. What does he mean by laying up treasures? He's talking about investing. Laying up treasures is about investing, either in heaven or on earth. How many here have got any experience with investing? Anybody here got some investments? Ushers, take note, because these are the people we're going to hit up with for money. No, (laughs) not at all. So for the rest of us who aren't really invested in things, if I put money into a bank or stocks or bonds... What I'm really doing is I'm investing in that institution or that business. Even in a simple savings account, whenever I give my money to my bank, they take that money and they use it to build their business. 
and they promise me a return on that investment. Somewhere down the line, I'll get my money back along with a percentage of extra money, depending on how the institution prospered from my investment. Or, if the institution fails, I could lose some or maybe even all of my investment. You with me on this so far? Sound familiar territory? Make good sense? Okay. Well, here's the secret. Only a few of us in the room put our hands up when we talked about investing in things. But the reality is, every one of us in here invest all the time. Probably every day. It's just not always money that we invest. And it's not always in ways that we think of as investing. For instance, we invest our time, we invest our talents, we invest our treasure, and sometimes even our very lives. We both make, we make both short-term and long-term investments, usually aimed at quality of life goals. If I'm, if I'm investing for my retirement, is that a quality of life goal? And is it a long-term investment? Yeah, at my age, it's a little shorter term than some of the younger ones in this crowd, but it's considered a long-term investment. If I invest in a new couch, is that a quality of life investment? I think it is, because that's where I spend a lot of time watching TV with my feet out that way, hand behind my head, relaxing. I'm investing. What about education? If I invest in education... It's an investment, isn't it? Have I made the point that investments are for both short and or long term and that we all invest all the time? And that investments work by I give up something, I invest in something I want to succeed, expecting a return of some sort from it. I'm investing in that business. Jesus, in this passage, tells us that he wants us to invest He wants me to invest in heaven. See, the question isn't if I'm going to invest. The question is what I'm going to invest and where I'm going to invest it. And according to Jesus, it's a binary choice. It's either heaven or earth. I can either invest in this world or the world that's coming. The one that started its hostile takeover of this world 2,000 years ago when heaven began invading earth. Which one do I want to invest in? Which one do you want to invest in? Pardon me, but I am really dealing with my throat today, so I'm going to have to take pauses to try to hydrate. I apologize if it's annoying, but just try to do the best I can with what I got this morning. Which one do we want to invest in? The world that's here now or the world that's coming? Heaven or this earth? Well, what does Jesus want us to do? Which one does he want us to invest in? It's pretty obvious. He wants us to invest in heaven. And I I found at least two reasons that I think he wants us to invest in heaven. The first one is because my heart will be where my treasure is. That's what he says, isn't it? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And this issue with our heart is super duper important. See, I don't think that Jesus is after our money. I think he's after our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. 
Why? Because everything you do flows from it. My heart is the most important thing there is for me to guard in this life. More important than my bank account. More important than my possessions. So here's the truth. And so just bear me out and see if I'm right or wrong about this. You make up your own mind, but I believe this is the truth. I will invest in what I value. If I'm really into my comfort, I'm going to invest in the things that make me comfortable. If I'm really into degrees and economic wealth, I might really invest in my education. I'm going to invest in what I value. And the more that I invest, the more I actually condition and train my heart to love and crave and pursue what I value. The more I invest in this earth, the more I condition and train my heart to love, crave, and pursue the things of this earth. And the more I invest in heaven, the more I condition and train my heart to love, crave, and pursue the things of heaven. So are you with me so far? Can you already start to think of how that actually works in real time in your life? I, I can think of times when I bought, Chris and I, I used to ride motorcycles when I was younger. Not like Danny Gill. You know, I was a little more recreational than Danny. Danny was a little bit more into it. I liked cruisers. And several years ago, Chris and I borrowed a guy's, one of our members had a, had a Harley and encouraged us to take it out on a ride. And that started us thinking, well, we need a motorcycle. So we bought a big motorcycle. I hadn't had it a week before I had already put insurance on it. In fact, that was immediate. I bought a new windshield for it. I waxed it up. I was real careful where I parked it so no one would ding it. I didn't drive it on rainy days. I bought a stereo system. For, you get me? And I was looking at magazines about motorcycles and looking at trips. And you can see where I had invested in this. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to get just a little bit caught up in it. That's kind of what we're, where we're at with this, where we invest where our heart, where our treasure is. That's where our heart's going to be. And we condition, train our heart. That's why it's so important that we protect our heart, that we guard it. Because everything we do is going to flow out of that heart. And check out what Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. He's saying, if you're really a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian and a part of the new creation, a part of his kingdom, he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the hand of God, the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. Do you see that same tension that Jesus is drawing attention to here? Our choices are this world or the world that's coming, earth or heaven. And Paul's coming at it again, the same thing that Jesus talked about. He's just using slightly different words and different language. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here's a question that I have to ask whenever I read this. Why would I continue to invest in a world that I've died to? Why would I continue? And yet... I know I still do. I guess somewhere in my thinking, I want a diversified portfolio. I want to invest in heaven and I want to invest in earth. I'm still trying to work out the details of that. This is kind of tricky to work through, but if I try to, 
If I try to keep investing in both worlds, what do you think is going to happen to me? Well, it isn't probably going to be good. I'm probably going to have a divided heart. I think I'm going to have a real hard time having my mind set on things above if I keep thinking about things below. Anybody else here face this struggle? Yeah, I think this is common to all of us. I'll be torn between two worlds, and Jesus doesn't want that. So Jesus wants me to invest in heaven because my heart is going to be where my treasure is. And my heart is hugely important. The second reason is because treasures on earth are a bad long-term investment. Treasures on earth are a bad long-term investment. The motorcycle that I told you that I invested in for our recreation and and all that kind of stuff, the two-wheeled therapy I was looking for, you know how long it lasted? Not real long. A couple of years, and then I I had to sell the thing. I mean, I could give you some of the the details on it. We turned that money into trying to remodel a kitchen, but truth be known, I was getting tired of riding it. Uh, Chris loved it more than I did, oddly enough. It had a billboard-sized windshield on this thing, but if it was 30 degrees or above, she wanted to go riding. Because not only did we have that billboard, she had me blocking all. And, man, after a while, it was like I'd get off the bike and things would creak and I had to pull up. You've been there. Some of you guys ride bikes. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The investment did not return what I was looking for it to. And that's what happens when we invest in this earth. That's just one hopefully identifiable illustration. You've probably had a few others. You've probably invested in things that didn't really last too. And Jesus says the treasures on earth are a bad long-term investment. In fact, he actually gives a parable to make this point. I'll just read it to you. It's in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. He said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You know, Sarah made the point, I think Mike brought it up in communion. We are one of the most, one of the wealthiest generations that's ever lived. Even those of us who live modestly are far wealthier than most of the other people in the world right now. And historically, kings did not have some of the luxuries that we have. And yet in our society, we are constantly looking for the next upgrade. Right? And it's like we get lulled into this idea that if I can have just this next kind of car, things are going to be better. If I can have this next fill in the blank. And sometimes, especially as you start getting later in life, you start looking around and comparing. Where am I at? How much do I have versus this person? Maybe a family member. And yet what you find is people who have the most are often sometimes the most miserable. You've seen that? Seems like it would work just the opposite. And we, it doesn't. And Jesus affirms that it doesn't work that way. He says that not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You're about more than what you own. Verse 16, he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning with himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Most of us here aren't farmers dealing with this kind of scenario, right? But what happens whenever you have more money than you need? If you can think of it that way, 
Yeah, some of you are going, when does that happen? Uh, it's rare uh, <laughs> for some of us. But let's face it, some of us do accumulate more than we actually have to have for, to survive. I don't have to have the TV shows that I have. I don't have to have that, that streaming service. There's a lot of things that I, I don't have to have to survive and get by. But what do I do whenever I've got more than I need? That might help us to identify with the character in this parable. He says, uh, he began reasoning to himself, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Does this sound like a bank to you? Or an investment? Yeah, it kind of sounds that way to me too. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Now it's definitely starting to sound like retirement or money that we've stuck away to grow. For many years to come. Uh, so take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Relax. Finally starting to get your piece of the pie. Got a little nest egg. Got some security. Relax. Take it easy. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Anybody else here feel the weight of this story? Investing in this earth, things of this earth, are not good long-term investments. If I invest in this world, I will definitely lose my investment. When Chris and I bought a house back in 1994, we were the fourth owners or the fifth owners, babe? Fifth owners. In a hundred some years, we were the fifth owners. We're no longer the owners. We only got to stay for it for a while. We bought another house. We didn't go move into a culvert. We bought another house. And guess what? It won't always be ours. Things here just, they just don't last. If that's what my investment is, how many people get caught up in getting their identity from the things they own? It could be a house that's a major investment. So you buy a house and you want to paint it and decorate it and fill it with all these things as though these great long-term investments. I'm not saying we don't need houses. Don't, don't take me wrong here. I don't want to say more than Jesus says, but the contrast and the, the understanding, I think, has got to saturate with us. It's got to resonate. Investing in this world is a bad long-term investment. In fact, 1 John 2.17 says, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You've heard about how one business or company or corporation will have a hostile takeover of another, right? And what ends up happening is, whoever owned this one that's getting taken over is out of luck. They're gone, and the new company takes over everything. I also mentioned that the world that we live in presently is undergoing a hostile takeover. It is a war. It's a spiritual war. The kingdom of God started advancing 2,000 years ago when Jesus was king, when Jesus was anointed and made king. And his kingdom has been growing ever since. And one day, 
it will take over the entire world. Which one do I want to invest in? Another question that I have to ask myself is, which one do I want to see succeed? Do I want to prop up the one that's fading away a little longer? Do I want to get my return from a world that's passing away that is guaranteed not to be here? Would I invest in a failing business that I knew would not be around anymore? No. And yet, because we don't think of the way Jesus teaches this, sometimes we end up doing that very thing. We end up investing in a world and losing our investment. This world won't last that much longer. So what does Jesus mean? Let's move on here, because he, he makes that point. We've got it, right? We're all tracking together. Now he says something that it definitely makes you ask, or should make you ask, you want me to do what? Because he starts talking about having a bad eye or a healthy eye. Anybody here know <laughs> what he's talking about? Because the consequences seem pretty big, so maybe we ought to dig into it. What does Jesus mean when he talks about having a bad eye or a healthy eye? Had to dig into this one. He's using Hebrew idioms. He's using Hebrew idioms that his original crowd, his original listeners, would have understood. An unhealthy or an evil eye, a bad eye, is a Hebrew idiom for a greedy heart. And a good eye is an idiom for a generous heart. And I believe in your notes I gave you some references so that you can go check me out on that and see if what I'm saying is right. So what, what Jesus is saying here, what he's talking about, is he's talking about being greedy or generous. Greedy people invest in what? Themselves. They invest what they have in themselves. They lay up treasures on earth. Why? Because they have a bad eye. They don't see it for what it is. People who are rich towards God generously invest in heaven. Why? Because they have a good eye. A good eye, and when I was a kid, how many, how many of you in here played baseball? Okay, the rest of you, did you ever go to a baseball game? Did you ever listen to the crowd and someone yells, Good eye! What was going on? They didn't swing, right. They're, they're standing at the plate, and they're watching the pitch come in. They go, yep, that's not the one for me. Now, I don't think that Jesus was referencing baseball, but I think that the connection might be there. We might be able to borrow from the understanding of this sport to get an idea. When we're talking, when we're talking about where we're going to invest, we need to have a good eye. We know that Jesus means he wants us to be generous, but it also, I think, I think it looks to me like we need to develop the ability to see the ones we ought to swing at and the ones we ought to lay off of. You with me? Did I push that too far? I, I, I want you to understand, I know Jesus is not talking about baseball. He's not. I'm just trying to understand what he's talking about with a baseball analogy. I think we need to develop a good eye to know when to swing, when to invest, and where. So, Jesus says that my attitude towards money and things, and I'm back to what he said, not what I said, okay? But what he says is my attitude towards money and the things that I have are going to affect my entire life, my whole life. 
It'll determine if my life will be in darkness or light. Did you catch that in what he said? See, having a life filled with light is a whole lot better quality of life than having your life filled with darkness. You ever stumble around in a dark house that you're not familiar with? Did you hurt yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I mentioned we bought a new house, and it's got some, some wood stairs. I was in my sock feet. I was trying to navigate my way down these stairs in the dark. And I stepped the wrong way. Both feet went like this way. I came down, broke the step, and nearly my back. I mean, I was walking around here. I was trying not to tell anybody because I didn't want to wince in pain and, and shift your attention. But it looked like someone had hit me with a baseball bat across my kidney. I wasn't trying to hurt myself or anybody else. And I wasn't trying to destroy my own property. But those are the kind of things that happen whenever you're in the dark. You know what I invested in? Lights, yes. I also invested in these little stair treads that, that fit on my stairs. So whether I'm in a, a cleat or I'm in a sock, I've got some traction going down the stairs. I haven't fallen, fallen down again. Light is a good thing to invest in. And see, Jesus wants us to have a good eye. He wants us to invest in heaven, not earth. He wants us to invest in more in the world that's coming, not the world that's passing away. Because the difference between those investments will determine whether I spend my time in darkness, getting hurt and hurting other people, whether I mean to or not, or living in light and seeing things better. And it's a way better investment, both long-term and short-term. So if I'm going to have the ability to invest wisely, I'm going to need a good eye. You with me? So how do I have a good eye? To have a good eye, I need to see, number one, what God has blessed me with. What God has blessed me with. So, you hear this kind of language a lot, right? Being blessed by God. I've got some friends, I'll ask them, how are you doing? I'm highly blessed and highly favored. This is just standard what I hear back. Sometimes we hear this language enough that we don't always connect it to the reality of what it really means. So, there's a story out of the Old Testament that I want to tell you. And for time's sake, I've had to chop the dickens out of it. So you'll see it in your notes, and you're going to see a lot of those little ellipsis, three-dot things, which means that I've skipped a bunch of verses, and I'm just going to talk to you about those as we go through it, just for time's sake. But it's well worth going back and reading about it. So let me give you the backstory before we get into it. King David, in Israel's history, had been king for a long time. And this passage that we're about to look at is towards the end of his life. David had always wanted to invest in the kingdom of God. And he really, really wanted to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. And God said, no, you've got too much blood on your hands. I'm not going to let you do that, but I'll let your son do it. For a lot of us, that might have been the end of it. Have our dreams shot down, told, no, we can't do that. That was not how David processed it. David was super generous. Let's pick up the story in, in verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, skipping ahead to verse 2, with all my resources I have provided for the temple of God. When you read what he devoted to the temple of God, it's obvious that he's taking it out of the king's treasury. 
And he's given gold and silver and massive amounts of treasure. And whenever you do the, the equation of the, the standard of measurements that he's quoting in our modern, we're talking tons. Tons of gold and silver. I'm pretty sure that as rich as the, the, the kingdom of, of Israel was at that time under David, that he noticed the absence of a couple of tons of gold and silver. That makes sense? If America gave away a couple tons of gold, we would know it, wouldn't we? I think it was the same in his day. In verse 3, David says, Besides that, in my devotion to the temple of God, I now give my personal treasures. And guess how much he gave out of his own pocket? Tons. Tons of gold and silver and valuable stuff. I think it was sacrificial. I think he knew that he had given it up. I think he felt it. I think he also knew that he was investing it. And he thought that it was a good investment. He makes this this statement towards the end of verse 3. He says, now who's willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? So basically he's telling telling the, the, the whole nation of Israel, this is what I've given from the treasury and from my own wallet. Now who's with me? Who else wants to get in on this? Who else wants to invest? And the response, you see in verse 9, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. You know how much their leaders gave? Tons. They gave tons too. And David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. So here's my question. What on earth would motivate people to do something like this? You, know, you think about a nation, they got resources. They give up a couple tons, you know they feel it, you know they know it. But it's a nation. When an individual, a king, gives up that kind of wealth, you know he notices it, but kings have a lot of wealth. You know he feels it, right? Whenever regular people like you and me give up, those kinds of quantities. You think we feel it? Yeah, they feel it. What would motivate people to be that generous? And what I really want to know is, what are the investments, the thousands of small decisions that were made over years that would form them into the kind of people for whom acts of generosity became second nature? See, I don't believe that these people, this was the first time that they gave. By the way, I also believe this is true, and I think I've seen it, you might recognize it. People who never give, very rarely give generously in a one-off. I'm not going to say it never happens, but most people that give generously have trained themselves. They've conditioned and trained their heart to invest in what they value, and they've grown in it. For these people in Israel to give like this, what were those little contributions? What were those little investments that would make being generous second nature to them? And the real question I've got is, how do I become the kind of person that would naturally be this generous? generous? That if that kind of an opportunity arised, that I'd be willing to kick in tons, like I have tons, I don't have tons. But if, you know, my equivalent of tons. And I want to say again, this is not about giving to the church. 
You know what this is really about? Mercy. Mercy. Remember when we first got into this, the series, sermon series, we were talking about the big three. Do you remember what they were? Doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly, faithfully with our God. It's Micah 6, 8. It's in Matthew 23. God has always wanted these things because that's what it means to be loving. Love consists in doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. It's what he wants from us. And it's how we image God because God does justice and he loves mercy. He's rich in mercy. He's got so much he can't wait to give it away. And we define those terms. What is mercy about? Mercy is about giving something that I have a right to to someone who doesn't have a right for it. And that breaks down into two things. Forgiveness and generosity. See, whenever you give and you invest in the kingdom of God, you're giving what you've got, what you've earned maybe, what God has allowed you to earn, and you're giving it to somebody who didn't earn it. With the the sacrifice behind us here on the stage, someone made some money, worked hard to get it, and gave it up for somebody else. This is mercy. And it's Christ-like. And it's love. And it looks like Jesus. It looks like God. What we're talking about here is not about giving to the church. We're talking about looking like Jesus. We're talking about becoming merciful people. People who love mercy. So we're not done with this passage out of Second Chronicles. Verse 14, David has dealt with the people and now he starts a prayer. Whatever is at the heart of biblical generosity, whatever at the heart of having a good eye, I think we're going to find it in this prayer. Here's what David says starting in verse 14. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and what we've given you only we've given you only what comes from your hand. In verse 16, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. Verse 18, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. There's that heart again, right? And keep their hearts loyal to you. These people valued the kingdom of God. And their hearts had been trained and conditioned to be generous. There's a couple things I just want to draw attention to in David's prayer. Verse 14, he says, who am I? Well, David was the king. He had worked really hard to become the king. Famous king. And he's asking, who am I that I get to invest in this? What an attitude of humility. I think if we're going to, if we're going to develop a good eye, if we're going to invest in the right things and invest in heaven, it's going to have to start with asking the same question, who am I that I should get to be generous? And so oftentimes what our culture encourages us to do is say, who am I that I should have to? So here's the first big change. Then he says, who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? David does not see himself as that significant at all. 
He's humbled to have the chance to be the source of generosity for God's kingdom and people. And I have to ask, am I that way? I hope you ask the same thing. Because I want to make the right investment. I want to have a good eye. He says that everything comes from you in verse 14. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. David had a firm conviction that everything on earth already belongs to God. And even his own wealth and honor, which he had worked hard to get for years and years, all came from God. He saw everything that he had as a gift from God, and he saw it as a privilege to be able to give it back as an investment in the kingdom of heaven. Do we look at things like that? What has God given us, and do we see it as really from him? David and the leaders rejected the false belief that my needs are more important than the needs around me. This is as anti-American as it comes. This is as countercultural as anything in Christianity. There's a false belief that my needs are more important than your needs. These people had rejected that lie. And they were able to be generous and to have a good eye and make such a huge investment that we all still benefit from. When they saw the opportunity to invest in what God, what God had given them in his kingdom, they jumped, and in a big way. Let me ask you this. How much would you have invested in Apple if you knew what it was going to become? I believe I would have sold everything I had to get on that train. What about Amazon? Yeah. Whenever you see a winner, an undeniable, world-beating winner, and you've got a chance to invest in it, do you go small or do you go big? You go big, don't you? That's what we see happening in this story with Israel. God has blessed us with stuff. Are we investing it in his kingdom or in a world that's already passing away? The kingdom of God is going to deliver more and is delivering more than Amazon or Apple ever will. And this world, you're going to lose everything. Do you have a good eye or a bad eye? Are you learning to see what you should swing at? Or are you getting caught up with what everybody else is buying? The second thing, if I'm going to have a good eye, is I'm going to need to see where I can best invest what God's given me. Where I can best Invest what God's given me. Two things. You can't invest what God didn't give you. And not everything is the best. So you're going to have to make some choices as to where you want to invest. But I'll give you this. Again, I'll submit it for your, your, your thought. You can agree or disagree. But I think the two best investments in heaven fall into two categories. People and ministry which ultimately comes back to people. Ministry serves people. Whenever I invest in another person for the sake of God, with my time or my talent or my treasure, I think that's investing in heaven. When I invest in a ministry such as Greater Alton, but it's not the only one. In fact, personally, Chris and I don't just invest in Greater Alton. 
We give our most generous investments here because we're the most connected here. But we have a few other ministries and people that we invest in because they're out there investing in heaven too. And we want to see those ministries. We want to see the kingdom come. And so we invest in it. It comes down to investing in people and ministry. God has given me my life. Anybody argue with that? He's given me my life. He's given me a job. He's given me a house. He's given me a vehicle. He's given me a family, you guys. He's given me time, talent. Well, (laughs) I don't want to play that card real heavy. (laughs) He's given me some talent, some, and he's given me some money. And I can invest all of these things because they've been given to me. They belong to God anyway. And I'm not really giving up something that's mine. I just get to give it back to him, which has to do with my heart and my loyalty. That's how David, I mean, just go back and read what David said there. He's talking about his heart and his loyalty. I can use any and all of these things to help another Christian. Can you see that? I can use any and all of these things to help a stranger. I can use any and all these things to fund a ministry outside of Greater Alton. I don't know that we're ever going to meet any of these kids. I don't know that any of these kids that we're trying to bless are ever going to attend Greater Alton or contribute here. But the church, the kingdom of God is much bigger than us. And I can invest in heaven outside of this building, outside of this congregation. And personally, Chris and I do. I can use any and all the things that God has given me to help a charity. I can use any and all the things that God has given me to support this church. Or if you're watching on Facebook, where's the, did it not go? Good, I don't, I'm not, I don't have to, I'm not, locked, I'm not locked in to stand in the field of view of the camera now. I can walk around a little bit. Or if you're hearing my voice someday, you're checking out our website and you hear this, your church may not be this church, but you can use everything that God has given you to help your church. But I'm talking to you guys who are sitting here and you can use everything that God has given you to invest in heaven, to have a good eye, helping this church. Again, we're, and, and everything I just mentioned to you is in your hand. It's a handout inside your notes. We were not trying to get you guys to say, well, we've got plenty of money. We don't need you to give us any more. We wanted you to develop a good eye. We wanted you to learn how to invest in heaven. Because it's so easy to write a check or hit a send button on PayPal and throw money at a church and never really invest. I've I've known people who've given to this church, even generously, and the way that they thought about it is it now entitled them to invest in their pleasures. Well, I can afford to buy this thing I can't afford. Why? Because I gave a big check to the church. Is that a good eye or a bad eye? I'm not trying to shame anybody. I've made plenty of doozy mistakes myself. Developing a good eye takes time. But we have to understand what Jesus wants us to do and to be serious about that. And stop investing in the wrong thing. So let's wrap this up. Third thing. If I'm going to have a good eye, I'm going to need to learn to see where, or sorry, last one, 
Who benefits the most from my investment? Who benefits the most from my investment? When you give to this church, do you think it's me that benefits from your investment? I get supported by this church. Do you think I'm the one that, that, that benefits the most? When you give to a charity or any of the things on that list, who benefits the most from your investment? Everybody benefits, but I benefit the most from my investment, not yours. I, I, I benefit the most. Why? Because I become rich like Jesus. Investments are about returns, right? Jesus isn't saying, hey, give up your money and see nothing of it. There is a return for your investment in heaven. I become rich like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his, for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Who invested in who first? Jesus invested in us. And he invested wildly. He invested everything. So that we could be what? Rich. I'm going to try to wrap this up and finish on this. How many of you guys are familiar with the idea of compound interest? A few hands went up. Okay, let, me, let me see if I can explain it. I'm not an economics professor, but I'm going to do my best. Most long-term investments are small, regular deposits made over a long period of time. So if you start at 20, like maybe some of you guys, some of you younger guys, let's say you start saving right now. And let's just say you put back $100 a month. And you put it in a place that bears interest, standard bank account. Is that going to look like a whole lot of growth in that first year? No, it's not. What about the second year? What about the 30th year? It's going to be starting to grow. But if you start, and you can, you can play with the numbers. There are calculators out there that will take any figure you want to and look at compound interest and show you how this works. And every time, the chart works like this. A little bit of growth, a little bit of growth, and then zowie. Somewhere down the line, it takes off. And it's usually when you start getting about in your 60s that that compound interest really kicks in and you get this huge return off of this long-term investment. And it kind of works the same way with character. It works the same way with your heart. With that good eye, that bad eye principle. The person you become is determined by the thousands of little church choices, little investments that you make over time. It may not look like much at first, but when the interest kicks in, look out. There are some generous givers in this group. Has being generous changed you? Has it changed the way you look at things? Do you see the principle that I think Jesus is, that's underlying his statement about investing in heaven? When I first came to Greater Alton, 
I was the guy that gave $5 a week. And then I met my to-be wife, who was giving generously. And she asked me, how much do you give a week? $5. And I didn't think she was going to go out with me again. And when we first got married, I had a whole lot of debt. And we were talking about things like tithe, like give 10%. And an older preacher had come to preach a weekend lesson for us. I'll never forget, he said, for some of you guys, 10% of what you have is stingy. And for some of you guys, 10% of what you have is stupid. Those aren't his words, but that's how I'm relating it to you. But he said, why don't you start where you are, where you can, and grow? And so we, we started. We could not give 10% back in those days. We had too much debt. God's blessed us, and now we give more. We give a little bit, a lot more than 10%. Uh, but the, the figure doesn't matter. We're just giving back what God's blessed us with. Why do I go down that road with you? To assure you that start where you are. Invest what you have. It's the long term that matters because the interest begins to kick in at some point and you start to change. You start to become somebody different because those investments change you. It changes your heart. It changes your eye from a greedy one that's self-serving to a generous one. And you become more like Jesus. If, if I'm habitually making small investments in this world, it may not look like I'm greedy or like I'm investing in this world at first. Maybe not for a long time. But when the interest starts to compound later in life, it's going to become real obvious. Because I'll look more and more like the world around me than I do like Jesus. I'm going to do, here's some characteristic things. I'll find it hard to give generously even if I have a lot. I'll also find it hard to forgive because the two are connected. Because we're talking about mercy and being merciful and loving mercy. But, and this is why this is such a good investment. If I'm habitually making small investments in heaven, little acts of generosity with what God's given me, it may not look like much for a long time. I mean, you may not be able to give $1,000 a month. You might only be able to give $2 a month. It may not look like much, but over a lifetime, all those little acts of generosity, whether they're to this church, this ministry, to a stranger, to another ministry, any of those things on that list, if you've developed this good eye and you've just stepped forward in faith and you've invested a little in heaven, a little in heaven, a little in heaven, it begins to grow. And what changes and what you're going to get back in this investment is your heart aligns with Jesus and you start looking more like him than you do the world around you. And you become rich. You become rich. Investing in heaven will become second nature. I'll actually love being merciful rather than begrudgingly forgiving someone or begrudging giving somebody my money, God's money. Rather than begrudging it, it'll be second nature. I'll look more and more like Jesus, which means I'll be seeing what Jesus paid for, what his investment was really in which was to restore humanity to the image-bearing 
design that God had created us for. This is still about image bearing. And again, we've been talking about it through this whole lesson series, so I'm not going to go back over that, that again, but this is a big deal. We were created in God's image to bear his image, and this is a part of it. And lastly, I'm going to share in his glory. I'm going to end with this verse. It's in Romans 8, verse 17. Paul said, since we are his children, we are his heirs. You want an inheritance that matters? Talk about an inheritance from God. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Being generous can hurt. But what an investment. What an investment. I want to encourage you guys as we close out, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. There, there is in your, in your bulletin, along with that little handout that gives you maybe some ideas to consider what you do with your money instead of giving it to us this month, there's also a response card. There's an opportunity there for you. If you need some help with something, if you want to talk about this or anything more, you can make it known there and it communicates with us. You can also request prayer. I would challenge everybody here to start praying for God to give you a good eye. To help you to see where he wants you to invest. To see what he's given you and where he wants you to invest it. Being generous can hurt, but man, what an investment. To be like Jesus. To see the kingdom advance. If you would, bow with me and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for loving us and allowing us to be your children, to have our lives hidden in yours. Father, you are so generous to us. You've given us so much. Uh, Most of us don't struggle to eat. Most of us don't struggle to stay warm because we don't have a place to stay. Uh, You've privileged us in so many ways. But Father, we are constantly assaulted with the idea that we don't have enough. That if we would invest more in us and in this world, that life would be better. And it's so insidious that we don't always see it, that we miss it. And Father, we sometimes just don't even see what you've given us to invest or where to invest it in heaven. Father, I pray that you'll change us as we go through this month of shaking it up and doing what we've always wanted to do but never been able to do and what churches almost never do by asking people not to give to us. I pray, Father, that we will not be superficial with this opportunity. That we'll look for ways we can invest. And that you'll help us to begin the journey to be people who have a good eye, that are merciful, and that do invest in heaven because it's the return is incredible. Father, we ask you to make us more and more like Jesus every day. It's in his name we pray. Amen.